This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. Julia Samuel returns to the podcast and I am so delighted to welcome her back onto the show. Julia is a psychotherapist and author and on her last visit to the podcast we talked at length about how we can adapt to and navigate our way through the challenges of change and it was a podcast recorded on the very cusp of what became the first lockdown here in the UK so we didn't do it in person it was one of the first I ever did over Zoom. And it was a very timely conversation that I know resonated with a lot of you, my most excellent listeners. Then in December last year, Julia very kindly invited me to join her on one of her Instagram lives. And we touched, as something of a tangent actually, but we touched on the subject of having to learn to love yourself. If loving or liking yourself doesn't come naturally or is something you don't feel applies to you and hinders how you navigate the world, then this conversation is definitely for you. We discuss attachment theory, why loving and being loved is such a vital component of our identity, the risk in loving others and why we need to pay more attention to our feelings rather than override them because of what others think, because they are actually trying to steer us towards the things that we need. We also, very unscripted I hasten to add, did a little exercise. It's the felt sense by Eugene Gendlin, which was a first for me on the podcast. I've never done anything like that with anyone on this show. But speaking of that exercise, it's slightly hypnotic and it could be distracting. So please be aware of this and don't follow along if you're driving, operating heavy machinery or if your attention is required elsewhere. It might be best left until you can do it uh, somewhere safe and quiet and where you're not, where your attention can be uh, devoted to 100%. 
Now, prior to recording this episode, I was telling some friends that I was speaking to Julia again. And as Julia has a huge amount of expertise in grief counselling and living losses, which we do again discuss in the show, someone suggested I asked her about the end of friendships, uh, female friendships specifically in this instance, and how devastating the end of a friendship can be. And I think the end of friendships can be trivialised in a way we wouldn't do with romantic relationships. And so in this episode, we discuss why it's entirely legitimate to feel the same or similar or a similar kind of heartbreak after a friendship ends as it is when a relationship does. Julia, as I'm sure you'll hear, is such a calming and safe guest, and I really hope you find her insights as enlightening and as enriching as I did. The links to Julia and everything we discussed will be in the show notes, but for now, please join me in welcoming Julia Samuel back onto The Emma Gunn Show. Julia Samuel is back on the podcast, author and psychotherapist, and just wonderful human being who always makes me feel good in whichever way I interact with her, whether that's speaking to her as I am now. Hello, Julia. Hello. Or watching your Instagram or listening to your podcast, because since we last spoke, you have started your own podcast. I have, which has been very exciting and expanding. Yeah, it's been lovely to do, I must say. It's a, it's a wonderful show. And obviously, listeners, the links will be in the show notes. But the reason I wanted to ask Julia to come back on the podcast is because we did an Instagram live together uh, around Christmas time, actually. It was, yeah. And we went off on something of a tangent and we we talked briefly about this idea of learning to love yourself and how actually it can be something that can be very easy to forget to do. You can get swept up in your other relationships so you don't prioritize your relationship with yourself. And you said that it was something that you had had to work on. So I wondered if we could perhaps unpick that uh, in this conversation today. Yes, I mean, I'm so thrilled to be with you, Emma, and to be on your fantastic podcast. I just want to say that first. And I mean, as human beings, we are relational. And the sort of uh, quality of our lives and how we look on our lives is both based on our relationship with ourself, which I guess in some ways is our first and second relationship and our relationship with others. And it's in a way our second relationship because how we are in relationship with ourselves is embodied and profoundly influenced and shaped by those first relationships that we have with with our parents, our caretakers. And how we often feel about ourselves is by what we've learned from what is modeled from them much more than what is said to us. Mm-hmm. And so the, the sort of model that most people think about now, psychologists, therapists, everybody in this sort of this field, is they go from the John Bowlby attachment theory, which I'm sure you've heard of about the kind of basic trust, so secure attachment, where you have basic trust in yourself and others that you're good enough, that you will be valued um, as you are, and that you can kind of re- survive and have the resilience to kind of go through difficult things or insecure attachment. And there are different versions of it. Um, but that there's a kind of unpredictability in your relationships, that you're not sure that your 
fundamentally good enough. And that can be played out by holding on very tight or by cutting off, by not being in relationship um, or kind of freezing. And having insecure attachment as a basis of being in relationship with yourself, then not always because nothing is predictable and everyone is unique, but that can mean that when you have other losses or difficulties in life, how you manage them is influenced and shaped by that insecure attachment. So that when somebody dies, you don't have, it's I think one of the ways of thinking about it is that if you have very good roots in your oak tree, you had good soil to put your roots in. When there's a storm, you have the kind of robustness to weather the storm. If you were, your roots in quite stony ground, not fertile soil, you didn't get lots of sunshine and rain and nourishment, your capacity to weather the storm is much more brittle, much more febrile. Does, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very much so. So if you have that image, then if you kind of reflect on yourself and how you feel about yourself and the messages you give yourself, what kind of self-speak you have, and also how you look at the world. Do you look at the world as a place that is sort of good enough, that you trust, that is predictable? Or do you look at the world as like, oh, looks a bit dangerous, looks a bit scary, um, everything's a bit frightening. Those that interconnect how you feel about yourself. Mm. Are, you, are, you, are you with me? Mm, very much. <laughs> <laughs> so the work, I guess, is... The first thing is to kind of know where you are, because I mean, like with mental health, there's a spectrum of ill health and kind of good enough health. I think our relationship with ourself and our sense of secure attachment is also a moving adaptive system that there are times in our life we feel more robust and more secure and more confident and times in our life where we feel more vulnerable and and less able to kind of weather the storms. And I think most people through this last year feel that they're much more vulnerable, that their kind of layers of skin have been kind of taken away. They feel more raw because they haven't had the normal structures, connections, ways of living that have helped them feel kind of connected to themselves, trusting in life. You know, when you see walking down the street that the people walking towards you are vectors of life-threatening illness where all the things that we trusted and believed in now are kind of places of potential danger everybody feels more scared so I think everybody's system is much more on alert and the volume has been turned up on fear and go on no no I was just I was going to say yes (laughs) Yes. I think that fear is is running through. And you I wouldn't necessarily know whether one would say I'm more scared or I have more fear. It is almost just a heightened awareness, but it's flight um or fright, isn't it? Constant. It's it's adrenaline and cortisol just absolutely pounding through your system because you know that there's a, a threat around. And it's a very real threat. It's not imagined. Mm. And The thing about when your system, so our system, we have an amazing, this incredible system that evolutionary evolution has given us 
that threat is the fast track system to look for danger to protect us. You know, the tiger, as everyone talks about, is going to come and get you. In this case, it's the fear of the, of the virus. And it turns off all the unnecessary systems of connecting, of thinking, of feeling. It just goes to vigilance, like where is the danger? Should I freeze? Should I fly? Should I um, hit? You know, should I fight? And so part of the difficulty in relation to yourself is that if you're, so if we think about it as gears and one of the ways of thinking about this is, if this isn't getting too theoretical, is the polyvagal system. So the polyvagal system is you go into heightened state and where we want to be is in the sort of first or second gear, because that's where oxytocin is going through our bodies, the cortisol levels drop, we have the capacity to think and feel, connect, bond, and feel better about ourselves. And, you know, what people talk about is, you know, there's an African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. So to go back to yourself, so when we, in relation to ourselves, feel scared, we tend to lose connection with other people and then we lose connection with ourselves. We feel everything feels heightened. We feel very brittle. And then we feel scared and nothing seems to fill. I'm using so many metaphors. It's a tiny bit scary, even hearing myself. <laughs> You're in a safe space. This is metaphor central. <laughs> but you, that, that you kind of feel empty. Mm. And then then you get into a, a can get into a kind of negative pattern where that what I call a shitty committee, that critical voice in your head starts, you know, turning up the dial. And that's when you really get horrible messages like I'm useless. You look in the mirror. I'm so ugly. What's the point? And then you can start creating the negative behaviors that feed that. Mm. You know, that I, you know, I have many clients who, when they feel the worst, then they do things that compound it. They eat two packets of crisps or biscuits or drink or tell everybody to go away. You know, I don't need you. I don't want you. You know, all the things that will, they know make them worse, they do it because it somehow feeds a feeling of control. Like I have control. I can do this fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but also then you end up with more self-loathing, more shame, more guilt. And then that pattern cycle um, repeats itself. Mm. I mean, even pre-pandemic, I just thinking about the conversation of what you just said a minute ago about you have to know where you are, because I'm sure, uh, many of these feelings may have been amplified by the last 14 months but if that was already present it could have amplified got worse all of these things and I think what I was so interested in is how do you know where you are because how do you know if you like yourself how do you know if you love yourself how do you know if you value yourself is it is it well if I do these five things if I get up in the morning and I brush my teeth and I wash my hair and I 
basic hygiene and I also make sure I have food in the house. Does that mean I love myself? If someone was listening to this and they were thinking, I've never actually interrogated that. I've never asked if I like myself or I love myself. I've only worried about what other people think of me. How does one find out where they are on the map where the big red arrow says you are here? How are you able to get those bearings? So I was thinking of different things I, I would do with someone. So let's, should we try an experiment? Go on. I don't know if it'll work because we, we're not in a therapeutic relationship and we have no contract and this is public. So this <laughs> may not work. But um, close your eyes mm -hmm. and take a breath. and move your attention internally. And move it around your body until you find the place that you feel most sensation. And breathe into that place. And tell me what are the words, can you see a shape or a color? I, I feel uh, warmth. Warmth. And does it have a, a color, a shape? Not a specific shape, just a uh, sort of a, I guess it's probably round though, roundish. Roundish and ready purple okay so if that roundish ready purple warmth could speak what would it say you it would say you're okay yeah you opened your eyes for people listening sorry is that, bad? You, is that wrong? no no that's <laughs> fine but it looked like a shock like and you looked tearful because it's a lovely feeling because it, it felt uh, it felt very positive and also I think had I done that several years ago would have been a very different response <laughs> so that's a really lovely thing mm. and so it's as simple as that just being quiet I mean my my particular warmth was in my heart space yeah and yeah, it was, you're okay. Just, you're okay. I'm okay. And that was very simple to get there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think the next step in that, if, if I was working with you, would be to give yourself permission that I'm okay. Mm. Because there's probably a lot of, chatter and old mechanisms like you looked a bit shocked like oh this is a new version of myself this is like a internal perspective that I didn't expect yeah I think um I'm a uh, and maybe listeners relate to this I am a worst case scenario expert 
So rather than what I really learned from that exercise, which admittedly happened moments ago, <laughs> moments ago, listeners, uh, when I was okay, but I uh, made me realize that I don't listen. It's about the quiet. It's about just taking a beat as opposed to trying to Work understand everything else externally. And funnily, I, it made me think about a conversation I had with the neuroscientist, Gibia Tolikita, Dr. Gabir Tolikita, who said, we have, so, we have such a knee-jerk reaction in the amygdala and it makes us do so much very, very quickly in these, in these reactions, which brings us back to what we were saying about fear. So we're all working from our amygdala. And actually, if you can soothe the amygdala and slow down and take a moment. And I think the reason I was so shocked is because I didn't trust it. I Part of me wanted to say, yes, but I've got to do my accounts. Yes, but I've got to do this. There's these things going on. I haven't done my recycling. And I think my neighbor might be upset that I did too much recycling last month. <laughs> so I, do you, it, exactly as you say, chatter. Because what was interesting was the minute you got to I'm OK, and for people listening, honestly, we had no idea where we were going to go. This was by no means... Um, that was a risky move, Julia. <laughs> that was a risky move. You opened your eyes like you couldn't even let yourself sit with it. Mm. So it's like, oh, like a shock. And if I had been working with you, I'd have invited you to go back, close your eyes, sit with it, see what happens, what comes up next. What's the thought? What's the feeling? What do you need? What's the image? And so the, the, this process that I've done with you is, is not just my woo-woo. It comes, it comes from a, a guy called Eugene Gendlin, and it's called the felt sense. And what he talks about is our kind of bodily wisdom that are, you know, a lot of neuroscientists talk about the body remembering, the body holds the score. Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and that every thought that we have has a physiological component and every physiological um, feeling that we have triggers a thought and the two are completely interconnected. And there's when they're working well, there's this beautiful dance between the two. But when they're at odds with each other, when our, our, our amygdala fight or flight or freeze brain is trying to kind of protect us and to defend us, it doesn't allow our bodily wisdom to go, it's okay, you're okay, you're safe. The neighbours don't worry about the recycling. <laughs> the accounts, it's fine. You've got plenty of time. Like, just take a moment and you're safe. Mm. And from that centre, then a lot of kind of, creative, um, enriching feelings can emerge, which don't have to send you helter-skelter be, to be doing, because you recognize that where you are is the right place to be. Is that what uh, you hear all these relaxation, ex I say relaxation experts, I'm thinking about people like Wim Hof, Andy Podicum, Richie Bostock, when they say, you should be able to feel that wherever you are. And actually, a memory's just cropped into my head. I saw a TCM about five years ago when I was really struggling, really, really struggling. 
and uh, he said you should be able to be as calm at your calmest even if the ceiling is falling down on top of your head even if the earth is quaking you should be able to channel that <laughs> I wish people could see your face it's like fuck off <laughs> seriously that's not how we're made (laughs) that's when your amygdala tries to save your life (laughs) exactly and you bloody listen it's like get out of there (laughs) right don't chant your inner chi at that point that's when you move (laughs) (laughs) amazing okay so for listeners who followed along with that and maybe you're going to give this a try themselves is there any significance i'm sure there is to the size shape and color that you talked about no okay great good because <laughs> I was worried about saying red in case it meant anger no 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 it's what your subjective the 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 purpose of there is no right or wrong there's no wrong or right color I'm not interpreting anything it's just a way of kind of turning your attention towards yourself moving the busyness, the to-do lists, the chores, other people's thoughts, putting that on a pause for a few moments that you turn it and you find out what is going on in me. So for someone who is listening to this, who maybe tries this out and they don't feel okay, and maybe there's a different vocabulary and it's perhaps not as positive. Very critical. Or, Or reassuring. What what would you advise? So I think the first way of being able to um, attend to that negative speak, those sort of self-attack speak, what I call the shitty committee, because I like swearing, which is really bad. um, You make it sound so elegant. (laughs) Is is writing it down. Mm. So begin, have a little page on your notes in your phone or a little notebook wherever, put down the things you're saying to yourself and then begin to look at black and white, what you are actually saying to yourself. And that in itself, I think, is quite a, because there's so much that's subliminal that is just going on and attacking you internally. So the more you can raise your awareness of what you are actually saying to yourself, then then you can begin I mean, I would talk with a friend if you I hope you, everybody has one person that they could talk to and kind of look at this together. And I don't think you can logically argue these things. But the idea is to turn to yourself with self-compassion, mm. like, oh, and there's the wonderful work of Kristin Neff. And she has a really good website, the self-compassion website um, that uh, there's in it. There's I did one on my Instagram where you is a it's like a three minute self compassion um, dialogue that you just turn to yourself with compassion. You feel it in your chest. You you it's a three phase thing that you turn to yourself. So when you're aware of what you're saying to yourself, just have a pause. Do that moment of self compassion. They can find it on my Instagram feed. Mm. Um, and then so, so that you have because we are habit forming, habit making beings. And the more we can interrupt the negative cycle with tiny habits, you know, like BJ Fogg, these things of tiny habits where we begin to feel about ourselves. It's the emotion that helps change our negative behaviors, not our willpower. 
but small, easy, like ours took, I don't even know if it was a minute, two minutes. I'm not even sure it was that long. So even one minute of self-compassion, slowly your relationship with yourself begins to change and you turn to yourself as kindly as you would to a friend or even a stranger walking down the street, rather than as someone that you treat as this terrible human being, which is incredibly um, painful. Mm. It's, um, it is reminding me and listeners will know I've talked about this before, but when I had therapy, when I went in to my first session, I went in as just, I don't know, a shadow. I don't know the best way of describing it. And what my therapist did with me so brilliantly was by the time we finished our work together, I completely, and didn't necessarily notice it until we were coming to the end, but really had changed how I spoke about myself but also and I think I told you this the last time you came on the podcast my little mantra that just appeared one day in the session and it sounds depressing but I find it really positive and it's funny that uh, what just came out of the exercise came out because my little mantra was you're on your own kid and what it means is stop looking for somebody else to come and rescue you and to make it all right and to do your accounts and to do your recycling and to fix things for you do it yourself because <laughs> you can. And so that gives you a sense of resilience that mm. I could do this in mm. the American phrase, you know, I've got this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. High fives and fist bumps galore. <laughs> and so you feel less like a victim and more an agent of change and an agent in your own life. Like I can, I can do my life. Mm. Yeah. And that is very supportive. And that, I guess, does everyone's color shape and interpretation of love is it so vastly different or can anyone do that exercise and just take a take a beat to just think how they feel within themselves and whatever there's no right or wrong whatever their version of love is is the one that will come to the surface yeah and their version of love will be their experience of love and that that will be their bodily expression of it an image for it and there's absolutely no right or wrong mm. um, I think one of the things when I've discussed this with listeners in dms or on emails or even with friends talking about how to get to a place where you love yourself like yourself it can be this idea that you take we talk about the internal shitty committee but also worrying so much about what other people think of us and also how we allow other people's actions towards us to define us. And people always treat me like X or I'm always spoken to like this. And it somehow removes the individual from any accountability in a dynamic. And is that detachment from how your life is going and assigning it, assigning that to somebody else like why that is happening is that something that needs to be rebonded and actually kind of understand people can speak to you how how they want it shouldn't influence how you feel about yourself I mean there are so many different places mm. I could come in there I mean I think the first one is although there are many diverse religions the one that I think often influences us is is the, is Christianity certainly in in the UK because it's the sort of majority um, faith is that 
you know, that one of thinking of yourself is, is selfish so that I have to put others first and myself second. Mm. And the, the paradox is true, is that the more you're in some ways able to accept and value and care for yourself, the more you accept who you are and who you find yourselves to be. And then ha- that frees you to accept and love other people. It's not the other way around. And I think that, so I think people often very hard on themselves because they kind of think that they're being selfish where actually, and, and I, and, you know, there's been a lot of, of arguments against psychotherapy and because it's making people kind of only think that they matter and they're not doing things for the world, you know, that we've become too um, self-absorbed and meeting our own needs. And I, I think that is a misunderstanding because I think we're much more likely to respond to other people's needs when we feel um, good about ourselves. So, th- so there's that. I think the other thing is that there's often been this thing is like, um, don't take any, don't, doesn't matter what other people say about you, ignore it. And I actually think we're born relational and we can't not be affected by how other people impact us. Mm. I think what we have a choice over is what we do with that. So we may feel hurt, we may feel upset and we can't change what we feel. But the if we conflate the feeling with a fact, like they think I'm bad dresser because I'm wearing a horrible jacket that doesn't make me a bad dresser it means I'm hurt that they don't like that planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But don't put the feeling with the fact. So separate I feel hurt. And I like the way, you know, I like my green jacket. That's, that's, I have a different view to them. So allow the difference between that, between the two. Um, Is that quite common to sort of, if you have a feeling to assign a story to it, and then you believe that story to be factually correct, when actually it's just a, something you've created out of thin air? Yeah, because we're narrative meaning making beings. And so... You know, I think at school and school friendships, those friendships can really haunt you all your life. If for some reason a group of girls has turned against you who you used to be in the in crowd with and then they've turned against you and then they're horrible about your, I don't know, your clothes or your your favourite new toy that they say is silly or whatever it is, you can take their feeling about you and make it 
like I'm bad and I'm wrong and I'm unworthy. And unless that is unpicked pretty early on, then that can influence your relationship with yourself, you know, for, for, for life. I watch a lot of reality TV and trust me, this becomes relevant <laughs> when I tell you, because it's, it's, it's I love it's, reality TV. Thank you, Julie. You've just validated a big part of my life. Um, okay. It is, it's anthropology. And I think what I really enjoy about it is that you get to see when people do it wrong, life and relationships, and when they do it right and laughing at yourself is really key. Yeah. <laughs> really key. Yeah. And pride really does come before a fall. Definitely. hundred percent. And I, and I, and I, you know, I really take that that is that we, you know, one of the things why I wrote my books is people come through my door, something has happened, they've broken up in a relationship, somebody they really care about has died, they've lost their job, whatever the reason is. And they feel that somehow they're doing it wrong because they are hurting, they feel angry. You know, when, when bad things happen to us, we feel the pain and the, the, the kind of bad design of human beings. When we feel that pain, we often turn against ourselves because we have feelings, jealousy about the person who hasn't lost her job or has a boyfriend. We hate everyone that we see looking happy because oh, I hate them being happy. And so we, we then the one time we should be self-compassionate and kind to ourselves, we attack ourselves because we think everyone else is sorted mm. and I'm the one that's failing. And I think the great thing about reality TV is you see that that isn't the case because a lot of people, even with their close friends, put on this performative, I'm okay, Jack. I think that is changing, actually. I think that I think friendships are often more honest now, but really... That, there, that's that's all I have to say about that. Um, let's talk about that because I think what you're alluding to there is how we've normalized conversations around mental health and how actually that's so wonderful in so many ways. Uh, but equally there's been, as with all things, there's been sort of the flip side of that is this catastrophizing of normal emotions. So being nervous about a job interview becomes, I'm having anxiety about my job interview and therefore maybe I shouldn't go or I'm not going to go or I bottled out at the last minute. So it has come with a slightly dark side, do you think? Yes, I mean, I do, I really, a kind of very strong message I, I would like to kind of get out there is that having painful feelings, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear, whether it's fury or anger is normal. And that they are expressions of ourselves in response to what's happening to ourselves, that we need to find a way of listening to the message. Like if I feel scared, tell me, you know, what is it I'm frightened of? Know what the signal in my body is telling me. Feelings are there as signals to us to pay attention to what is going on. And that if we ignore them, they carry on strong signaling until we give them attention. So if we block them out with alcohol, sex, drugs, working, so pain is an agent of change. If we ignore the pain all the time and anesthetize against it, 
then the pain still keeps coming because you're not listening to the message. So mm-hmm. listen to the message. But as you say, don't catastrophize the message. Catastrophize that, you know, being shocked doesn't mean you've been traumatized. Being scared does not mean that you have anxiety disorder. Feeling low does not mean that you have depression. So, but support yourself in it. The thing that makes a difference is support is early intervention so that there is many more conversations about mental health. But I'm not sure people in the way that we've talked today have the tools to enable themselves to support their mental health, Mm -hmm. that they know how for me as Julia Samuel or you as Emma know how to give myself the support that I need. And also, I think people are, when they really are suffering, when they have anxiety and they have depression, often go to get the support they need too soon. And that we know from all the research that the earlier you get, so I'm saying in some ways, I'm saying a, a, a contradictory message. One is get support early because you're more likely to recover and thrive and go forward. But on the other hand, also know that having feelings in extremists is normal. Um, so if anyone can make sense of that, I, I hope <laughs> I hope they can. <laughs> no, I was thinking I was thinking recently about some of the songs that I like because I was chatting to a friend about what my top five songs were, and Ooh. they are all they are all really quite extreme emotion songs with like a high note or a really extended guitar Intensity. solo. Yeah, there's an intensity there because there is something really stuck to about feeling those feelings, even if yes. even if you can put them in a, a box for a little while or an iPod or a Spotify playlist and just unpack them as and when you think, do you know what? I really need to feel that exactly. Right now. That's fantastic, though. I think that's healthy. I think that's a really good mechanism to access your feelings and finding a way of expressing them. I think that's incredibly healthy. By the way, are you very tidy? Because I can see the files behind you are colour coded by what it looks like. I have, I became tidy. I've never been dirty, but I've been untidy in my life. But okay. I became glad tidy. to hear you're not dirty. <laughs> I always feel like I have to clarify that. Yeah. I became tidy uh, through therapy. Brilliant. Did it help? So, I mean, often people tidy their drawers and their files in order to soothe and settle their mind I do that the minute I'm upset I tidy my drawers and throw stuff out yes if anything and if those were if those bookshelves and listeners who follow me on Instagram will will know the bookcase with I color-coded um if that was in a mess that would that would imply Emma needs a break yeah she's not doing well (laughs) she's a bit messy inside I think yeah people want to Marie Kondo their mind don't they well, I think, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And also it's a, it's a self-esteem thing. It's a self-worth thing. It's I'm worthy of having a tidy office with a color-coded bookshelf. Thank you very yes. much. Yes, <laughs> and you most certainly are. And it does give that impression. So it's working, baby. There you go. Now, we've talked about, I wanted to talk to you about this idea of knowing, loving yourself, because I think that can, I think that's a journey that everyone should go on. It's a really worthwhile pursuit. But uh, I was saying to Julie listeners before uh, we started recording that uh, I was chatting to one of my learned friends saying I was speaking to you today and they really wanted to get your 
your thoughts on female friendships and specifically when female friendships end and how actually, I know we've talked about not catastrophizing, but and how that can actually feel quite catastrophic. And yet, if you were to say to another friend, oh, I, I, I'm no longer speaking to my really good girlfriend, they'd be like, oh, well, buck up. And it wouldn't be given the same attention, yet I have spoken to numerous friends and I have experienced it myself personally. And it has, I've never been through a divorce, but it felt like a very, very big deal. <laughs> it's probably the best way I could describe it. Yeah. So I, I, the level of the loss is the level of the emotional investment in the relationship. So if you had a really good friendship of a woman, girl that you really loved, that really mattered to you, when that friendship ends, that is a very real loss. Mm. And it, what I call a living loss. So it's not a loss from death, but it's a loss um, from an end of a relationship. And all the feelings of grief, of fury, sadness, feeling like you're thrown into an alien planet, numbness, self-hate, insecurity, fear, grief often feels like fear. All of those feelings will come from the end of that relationship. So I am really want people to legitimize and recognize the value of the value in a negative way, if you see what I mean, the meaning of those losses and not to diminish them and say they're making a fuss and stupid me. And I also think it's matched by our sense of identity. So we have many identities and every aspect of our identity, whether it's our ethnicity, whether it's our relationship as a daughter, as a friend, as a, as a podcaster, work identity, all these different, a woman, a sexual identity, whatever it is, every aspect of our identity at the center of the core of it is the need to love, be loved and to belong. Mm. And I think in our friendship sense of identity, this is our tribe. Our female friends are our tribe, which evolutionary we need to survive. So if there's an end of a very close friendship, it threatens and feels like threatening the core of our identity of where I'm loved and where I belong. I don't belong. Who do I belong? Who's my tribe now? Where it, if that friendship goes, it doesn't mean I'm going to lose other friendships. You feel much less confident in, you know, every time a relationship ends, it, it brings back previous losses and also you have fear about future, your future. Are other friends, do I, can I trust? Is my future trustworthy? So it's a grieving process that you need support in. And the, the single biggest predictor of outcomes when we're grieving a living loss or a loss by death is the love and connection to others. So if it's a girlfriend that you're grieving the loss for, you may be scared to tell your other girlfriend because you're frightened, A, they're going to poo-poo it, but also maybe I'll lose them as friends too. Mm. So it's a, it's a big thing. <laughs> and actually, uh, when I was canvassing opinion about this, I was surprised at how many people, how many of my female friends came back to me and said, 
I have skeletons in my closet. Like I have friends who I was so close with who, if I saw them in the supermarket now, I, we would avoid each other. Or a friend of mine was at a train station. was at a train station and she and her former best friend were facing each other on opposite platforms, waiting for trains, just this awkward, awkward energy. And it's, it's still intense years later for a lot of people. And like I said, I've been through it and it really it does you feel it bodily you feel it in your body that sense of loss but also as you were talking I think I think there's a sense of shame like when they said skeletons Mm. that somehow is the shame that I failed that I wasn't the friend I thought I could be or should be and that I've it's a sense of sort of hot and shame is such a contaminating toxic feeling that affects every other feeling and it's certainly affects your self-esteem and your kind of trust and confidence in yourself. Um, so, I mean, it's an important aspect of one's life. And I, I very much doubt that anyone goes through life without losing a friendship. You know, like every relationship, you know, all of us, we can't always, you know, make the relationships work. I mean, what matters really in friendship and in love relationships and in parent daughter you know parent child or child parent is that you can have a disagreement own the disagreement and repair the fight but to repair the fight you need to be able to fight in a way that you don't wipe each other out that you kind of allow the difference and that you're both willing to do the work to repair because then once you've had a fight and you've said horrible things maybe, but then you've gone back and you've looked at it from a distance and you can both explain it to each other, you've actually gone through a storm together and you can often feel closer Mm. as a result. But sometimes with our friendships, that isn't possible. And sometimes you kind of think, well, I've put so much into this, but I, there's too little I'm getting back from it, you know? Well, it's trust as well, isn't it? I think trust is something that if fundamental, if you break, if you don't feel, if you feel as though your trust is broken, I think that's very hard. Well, for me personally, I'm now yeah. speaking for everyone, which is inappropriate, but I find that irreparable. But it, I mean, history would show that it isn't like it, it can be repaired. Yeah, I mean, it's very unique, and I guess the rupture of trust would depend on what the rupture is, whether it's repa- re- repairable or not. Mm. And how much you really are prepared to work on the relationship to repair it. What? Okay. So, what about someone who maybe is going through this or has a repeated pattern of feeling as though their trust is broken? How can you can you protect your trust? Love is a risky business. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that is one of the really interesting things about loving and giving is that we would like to be able to match how much we care about someone and love someone with reliability that they are going to give it exactly back Mm. and they're going to be, it's secure attachment again, isn't it? It's Mm. like where I'm going to, put my love is where I'm going to get it back and it's going to be um, what I risk is going to be met and I'm going to be safe 
And where we love most, we hurt most. So loving is always requires us to dare to some extent, to go out of our comfort zone, to kind of open our vulnerability and be our true self, you know, where you're like under the mask, behind the mask for them to see it and dare to let them see you. And when they do, then then you build trust. So when you can show them all of yourself and you feel like they value and can disagree with you and be cross with you, but still love you for who you are, that is what real deep friendship or love relationship or a parent-child relationship, that's when you really feel secure in your love. That you can show all of your sides, your good sides, your bad sides. You can be a nightmare, be difficult, and that you will both fight for the relationship and not give up on the relationship. So love is a risky business, which (laughs) should be the name of your next book. But it comes back to, I mean, there's jeopardy. There is jeopardy in any relationship, be it a friendship or a romantic relationship. But we come back to what we were talking about earlier. If you have that strong relationship with yourself, then if that, if those other relationships falter, then you're the oak tree. And although you will hurt, it won't knock you down maybe. I think that's right. I think we will hurt and you'll, you feel the pain of it. Um, and people need people so that if one friendship goes, as long as you have other really important relationships in your life, whether it's family relationships, sibling relationships, love relationships, colleague relationships, then that can support you through the, the grieving for that relationship. Um, what we know from the research, which I'm sure you've done a podcast on, is loneliness, that the people who don't have enough, you know, you only need probably, what do they say? You need three or four really close people in your life. The maximum number of people that we can know and kind of manage is 150. Um, That's what they say. But um, people who live alone who have say go for three or four days or a whole week with no interactions they have very poor mental health very poor physical health it's equivalent to smoking 30 cigarettes a day so we need social connections we need people need people Mm. and when people are suffering your kind of path to healing is should be paved with people that we need people when we're happy and we really need people when we're sad. Mm. So it really is if uh, we're to learn anything, I guess out of the last 14 months, I think a lot of people have realized how important friendships are and how much work they need to put into them when they can't see them in person. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there are so many people who are saying from July, from July, let's do this, let's do the other. But uh, I love that idea of, um, yeah, the path is paved with people and how vital that is. But what if someone is listening to this and maybe they find relationships, even uh, casual ones, challenging? You you talked earlier about um, how you see the world. What if you go out into the world and you 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 know you were saying earlier about a vector of 
the virus. Verse. Take the virus out of it. What if you just think people aren't kind or aren't supportive and so you're always on red alert? Because that seems to be... I see this a lot with people saying things like, oh, I just hate people. Or when we go back to socializing, um, you know, it's kind of these jokey memes, but this idea of we haven't been able to see each other and now that we can, I'm not really going to be that bothered. That face you make when someone says, let's meet up after lockdown, those sorts of dark humor about actually, I don't really want to be around people. What if that's your approach? It seems like that is going to be an incredibly limiting way to view the world if you see people as taxing, draining, negative, bad, wrong, challenging. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can't speak for everybody by any means. And there must have been many kind of for, forming beliefs in, in their experience that have meant that people kind of, you know, you only need, I'm not saying everybody should go out and party. I'm saying you need a number of good, close friendships and relationships in your life, like, you know, two or three or four, that is someone you can ring and go for a walk with, someone you can go to a movie with when we can, mm -hmm. someone who, if you're feeling really low, you can say, can I come for supper? I think we all, you know, can I come and chat to you? Can I come and just watch telly with you? Because I can't talk. I think we all need someone or a number, a small number of people that we can rely on mm. um, and that we can trust and that we know we're there for each other, that it's a mutuality in that friendship. And so it doesn't have to be huge numbers. If you have nobody, then, then I don't really know, but I would examine what that is about what has happened, how you've been hurt, how you've been injured. Um, for other people, one of the things I'm thinking about now is I think from lockdown and, and really to fit with what you were saying is that if, if we recognize how much we do need people and friendship and connection, how much we've missed it, even if we're a bit scared of it. And I think sometimes the messages of fear isn't necessarily the message you have to pay attention to. You just have to go very slowly, kind of go gently, do it in little tiny bite-sized chunks, bite-sized steps, um, is that we need to prioritize um, our relationships over our work. That often I think people kind of felt that work ran their lives and, um, that if, you know, we know from the research, all different research, that when people look back on their lives, the thing that matters to them most is, is love. Mm. And so if we're examining our life now and looking at if what matters to me most, and of course work matters, I love, I mean, I really value my job, but I, I put more in my work than I probably should. You know, and that is particularly hypocritical for someone who cares about relationships and has relationships with clients or you, I need to give myself the time to have relationships with my friends and my family. You know? But funny you should say that because I have, I've done the whole of lockdown by myself and I have kept in touch with my friends, but I have said one of the things that has kept me 
buoyant. I was going to say sane, but I don't think that's accurate. I think one of the things that's kept me buoyant is having a people facing job like this, being able to do this three to four times a week where I get to chat to somebody I either know or maybe I don't know them, but they've got something interesting exactly. new to say. I'm learning the whole time. That's been joyous. And that's something yes. I absolutely want to take into the next phase post. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I feel like our relationship, although we've hardly met, has, is a really lovely one. You know, where we, I feel connected to you and I feel like we know each other, even though it's very short. And that feels very precious and valuable. So, I mean, I completely agree. And even me, you know, I'm an old bag now, but my Instagram account, which is very. my friend like that. (laughs) Feels like there are real relationships. Not, I don't know if, can I say real relationships, people who don't know what they look like, but. You know, I, they, it does feel like a relationship. And I'm not even sure if I want you to put, put that in the podcast. But. <laughs> but no, do you know what it's making me think of is what you said earlier about put it down in black and white. And actually, in terms of relationships and friendships, the value that there might be in actually just jotting down who's important to you. Yes, that's a really lovely. And so who am I going to spend time with? Mm. and who maybe you know is a drain rather than a radiator you know who who I feel worse about myself when I've seen them and who do I actually feel better and happier and you know more alive when I've seen them who gives me energy and vitality and I feel good about myself and who I feel worse about myself that is a good kind of question that's a great check-in and there's a a famous meme or whatever you like to call it now about mm. the the guy who was a hundred years old and on his deathbed the things that he said and one of them was uh people would either take from you or give to you energetically and make sure after every interaction you just check in and figure out where they sit on that scale and that will tell you how much time you should spend with them if any mm. that's a that's very very good point mm. okay this has again been a wonderful conversation and I know your time is very precious and I know that you've mentioned a lot of resources so obviously listeners there will be lots of links in the show notes to all the people you've mentioned but um, thank you for going there with me on this episode and talking about quite um, intense it's intense intense intimate it's felt very it's felt meaningful I've really felt risky and I think that is one of the messages in life is that we in order to kind of have a rich experience we need to dare and get out of our comfort zone and you went out of your comfort zone with me which I really value and I hope that people who take from this podcast will try that for themselves and see that they may they may get something of value from that too. Thank you so much. Obviously, listeners, the links to Julia, everything that we have discussed, her books, her social media will be in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming back. Oh, it's lovely to see you, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you found that conversation with Julia and me helpful and insightful. I know I definitely, uh, I definitely did. If you want to get in touch with me, then all you have to do is email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com and 
You know I love hearing from you, so please don't be shy. And if you would prefer to perhaps DM me, then you can do that on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then go to the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and join the Facebook forum. You have to answer a question and agree to the forum rules, but then I will welcome you in with open arms, as I know the other members will. And we can't wait to see you there, so please don't be shy about joining. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.